Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, my co-hostess, Vanessa Hogel. And down in the chat room, our chat shenanigator, Shauna, shaking everything up. We have a fantastic episode up for you tonight. Brand new book released today from Haunted Road Media, Ghosts of the Black Hawk War with Dan Norvell, Larry Eisler. So two fantastic paranormal investigators. They've done a ton of historic research on this war that people have long forgotten about. They've included, of course, all of the paranormal activity they were able to capture as well during their investigations. Uh, I have put the link down in the description, so definitely uh, during the show, after the show, go check that out. Uh, pick up the book. Dan and Larry, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having Thanks us. for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, really, just to get started, um, here's the uh, we'll go ahead and pop up with the uh, with the book cover here goes to the Blackhawk War, which just released today. Uh, what inspired you guys to research out this war, investigate it and share it with the world? Uh, Dan, you really started this first. so I'll let you handle that. OK, well, when I was about probably 14 years old, my father and I were driving through Stillman Valley, Illinois, where the initial battle of the Black Hawk War kicked off. And I, I looked at my dad and I said, Hey, what's that dad? And he said, uh, there was actually a battle there. He said, and, uh, the soldiers that died in that battle are buried in that hill. And, you know, I was kind of like, really? That was, and like I said, I was 14 years old. So, um, when I started investigating the paranormal in about 1996, uh, I was always intrigued by the uh, battleground cemetery and just kind of started making my way over there, taking pictures and, and things like that. And then I kind of researched it a little bit. Well, I got married, uh, had kids, kind of fell by the wayside for, for probably a good five years. And when I met up with Larry again, uh, after I formed our team, Small Town Paranormal, uh, in around 2009, it was like something kept pulling me there. It was like, you know, my dad didn't even really know a whole lot of information on it at the time because it was, it was pretty much like Mike had said, it was a forgotten war. Um, a lot of people didn't even realize that there were any battlegrounds in Illinois and uh, there's actually quite a few skirmishes that happened in the state of Illinois uh, long before the Civil War. So um, that's kind of, I, I told Larry, I said, hey, you know what? I said, there was a war fought here in Illinois. And Larry goes, really? I said, yeah, it was called the Black Hawk War. I said it was between the, the Sauk Indians and the Illinois militia. I said, and then later, uh, the Federal Army uh, of the United States came in to assist and I said there's battlegrounds here that we could probably find paranormal activity on and lo and behold uh we found paranormal activity on them yes we did 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 you find and I'm asking this because I I've I've also been on investigations in predominantly native land and I I have found even though I'm native to a certain degree I, I am Cherokee and Sioux that the the interaction can be a bit more on the hostile side did you guys run into that or were they willing to communicate it in in more of a of a comrade way uh, from going over evidence and and all the audio samples that we've had i would say the overwhelming majority would probably be either settler or militia um i i'm not I'm not really certain how many were Native American. Uh, the only time I can think of where we could have possibly uh, had a, a response from Native American would have been at Blackhawks gathering site. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is still questionable because it was using the ghost box. We weren't a hundred percent certain, but the way the answer came out responding to the question led us to believe it could have been. Did you run into any um, EVPs or any type of vocal interaction that could have been, but maybe you possibly don't have a translator or have Unfor you looked into that? Unfortunately for us, I, I guess is unfortunately for us, uh, Blackhawks British band knew fairly fluent English. Uh, 
they were involved in the War of 1812, fighting for the British, and they were pretty well educated for the times. So Black Hawk himself spoke very fluent English. So it's kind of difficult to, to tell if we were speaking with someone that was Native American that happened to speak English or just a settler that didn't speak the greatest English. Yeah, because I would have wondered if you would have caught communication between two Black Hawk, that, or between two Native Americans, they wouldn't choose to speak English to each other. No, they would they, not. They would immediately go to their native tongue. Absolutely. Um, so, from everything that we have, I don't recall finding anything, mm -hmm. but also at the same time, um, I probably wouldn't recognize it either. So uh, nothing stood out to me. I don't know for mm -hmm. you, Dan. I do know that when we were at the gathering site, I asked if they were, uh, if there were any sock warriors there and we did get a response back on the ghost box that said sock. And then I said, uh, what other tribe was up here that you guys traded with and inter in intermingled and married with? And we got the answer Winnebago, which was a correct answer. Right. And then out at Wadham's Grove, um, I asked if there were any sock warriors there and we did get the response of sock. But that could have been one of the militia telling us that there were sock warriors there. Right. So, could have been. so you're absolutely right. For our viewers who are probably unfamiliar with this war, who was Black Hawk and what happened that uh, this small war occurred on, uh, on our soil? Well, Black, you want me to start, Larry, and then I'll let you finish with the nice history that you've done on it. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Black Hawk was at the time of the war, 64 years old. And um, back then what, what people need to understand is that Illinois was the frontier. Uh, we were the wild west before it was really even wild. Everything on other, the other side of the Mississippi, the Iowa side was twice as wild as what we were. And Black Hawk and his tribe hailed out of the Rock Island area. Well, the Treaty of 1906 signed in St. Louis, right? 1906, correct, Larry? Yes, I believe so. Okay, uh, it was Treaty, Treaty of 1906. Treaty of St. Louis. Yes, they, uh, some, some of the Sauk leaders at the time had signed that treaty, and it was Black Hawk's feeling that the treaty was signed under false pretense, and a lot of the other elders within the villages were not were not uh, advised of that treaty even taking effect. So the, in eighteen thirty two, essentially cheated them out of some land, right? Pretty much, they yeah. they gave all their land up in that treaty for very little. I think some uh, some skins and some weapons. A lot of, I, I mean, the Sauk Indians did like their the. Uh, white man's alcohol as well um but if compared to all the land that they lost in that treaty the indians got nothing mm -hmm. much like it has been throughout history and uh you know they pretty much told black cock in 1832 you know this is the last time you're spending on this land you're you're going to go over to iowa and that's where you're going to stay and uh, that didn't sit too well with him. Uh, like I said, he was 64 years old. He was a very, very fierce warrior. Um, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't take real kindly to that. And he organized uh, warriors and others within, his, within the Sauk tribe um, and said, you know, let's go back to Rock Island and retake our land. And uh, Larry, go ahead and you can finish it up. <laughs> so now that I think about it, I believe it was 1804, not 1806, that treaty. I think it was 1804. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I said 1906, I'm sorry. You did. 1804, really I think it was 1804. Um, <laughs> yes. But Dan's telling of the as to why Black Hawk came and crossed the Mississippi. It did happen uh, very, very, very early on in 1832. And I believe it was April 6th, I think. 
Um, and some people use that as the official starting point as the war because that's what kicked off the militia response. Others say the May date for Stoneman's run, May 14th, 1832, is the official start because that's the first battle. I lean more towards April 6th myself because that's the starting event. Um, now, as Dan had said, some theories are that they wanted to go back and retake Saucanock, which is present-day Rock Island. And another theory is that they were invited to live in a neighboring village. Lucas, can you turn that down, son? In a neighboring village. And the original agreement was that the Sauk had to leave, but it didn't say anything about them being incorporated into other tribes that were allowed to stay. And then there's a couple other ones floating around, but those are the main two that I like because they make the most sense to me. Either they are coming back to retake what was stolen from them, essentially, or they found a loophole and still wanted to come back. And in the in the initial in the onset of it, where you say it is 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 between the sock and the militia, what were the numbers of how many sock versus how many militia? So that is also very much contested. Um, really, the main number for the sock is around forty, plus or minus. Um, Blackhawk had a lot of people in his his band with him that crossed over, but unfortunately at that point in may they were running out of food so a lot of them were out hunting a lot of their a lot of their numbers included women and children and the elderly and they're not going to battle so he only had give or take around 40 warriors and he sent those 40 down and the uh troop that stillman had was actually two units that had combined together and that number is also somewhat contested some say it's around 260 some go up to 275 some say it's in the 240s uh, but still compared to blackhawks 40 pretty sizable right and and yet federal still had to come in and aid militia even though they outnumbered the sock by a great number so that there's a funny thing about that um and i i think we covered it a little bit in the book yeah, uh, Governor Governor John Reynolds really wanted the spotlight for this one. It would have been really good on his reelection campaign. Campaign, John Reynolds, the man who stopped Black Hawk. Mm-hmm. So instead of waiting for Atkinson to show up and federalize the militia, before Atkinson got there, they were still under Reynolds' command as the governor. So Reynolds sent out this very untrained farmer militia to go and stop Black Hawk didn't really work out that well so as things started to come together again after stillman's unit was routed then they were federalized now you had real soldiers coming in and we have what happened blackhawks forces were eventually pushed into wisconsin and completely obliterated oh wow Mm. okay that explains a lot well, I mean, it, it, it really is a tragedy, but I think a lot of it comes to misunderstanding and what else was going on in the time, too. Because we got to remember, this is the Andrew Jackson presidency. He is not a friend of Native Americans. Right. No. None whatsoever. So, you know, like Dan said, the Black Hawk War is the forgotten war. But it leads to something that nobody will ever forget. And that's the trail of tears. Yes. Three major things happened around this time that really spurned Jackson into saying it's time to, to relocate all these natives. One, 1832, the black Hawk war Two, you had the Seminole resistance in Florida, which chief, uh, Asacola, I can, I don't, I can never say his name, right. Close enough. Osceola, uh, that lasted for a long time. And then lastly, you had the Cherokees in Georgia that tried to fight the government legally. They won. A judge sided with them. And then Jackson said pretty much, eh, if the judge agrees with them, let him enforce it and then kick them out anyway. So all these things are happening, including our own little Black Hawk War. And that's really what spurned the Trail of Tears here. Everyone was getting out of the way because it's time for America to shine. And and it's funny how something like this can just be brushed over when it, it, it was really the footnote of something really important. And, you know, I, I from firsthand experience, I can say it's been brushed over because I had an American history class 
that ended last April in college. And it was from colonial times up to civil war time. And it's the end of the semester. And I'm like, all right, 1832, let's go. I know all this brushed mm-hmm. right over it. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I go to the teacher and she knows, she knows I I'm writing this book and I have to give her a copy still actually. Um, and I go, what gives, where's, where's the war? And she goes, it's, it's not important enough and we don't have enough time to cover it because we still have to cover all of the civil war. Oof. And I'm like, this is the point we're making. It's yes. the forgotten war. It's the forgotten yes. war. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're out there investigating, and this is something that that comes up when, when we investigate and we're interacting with the spirits is, um, you know, I believe that, you know, they want to be remembered. A lot of these people have been forgotten to time, and yet here you have a, a small war that has been forgotten to time. So when you're interacting with these spirits, do you think that they're more apt to try to communicate with you because you're finally somebody that's out there saying, hey, I remember you. I'd like to know more about your story and what happened to you out here. I can say for a fact that... Um... 1832 to now you're looking at give or take almost 200 years mm-hmm. um minus the whole forgetting the war thing 200 years is a long time for somebody not to talk to you yeah and finally you have two fat guys roll up <laughs> and, and, and want to talk to you let me tell you the spirits at stillman's run are chatty yeah very yeah. chatty um whenever we're testing equipment we go there we know we're going to get something when we want to introduce our spots to people like Dale Kazmarek. Um, oh, Dale's a good guy. Yeah. He, he loved the Stoneman's run monument and he got a lot of stuff there and he was really blown away by this little tiny monument and this, how big's the town, Dan? Stillman Valley's probably about 3000 people, maybe 3,500, 3,500 people in this little town and great stuff coming out of it. And it's just they've they went so long with everybody ignoring them, and now here we are speaking to them, and they they just won't stop talking. I bet they're like that ShamWow commercial. Oh wait, there's more. You and know, there, I mean, always really more. that. But let me just take a moment and just absolutely commend you guys on not going to places that tens of thousands of people have investigated. You sought out something that was important to you and you're making it important to us. And that's really what we all should be doing. This is this is about communicating and educating and sharing. And you're doing that. And my, my hat's off to you. It's appreciated. Thank, thank well, you. appreciate you're that. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I am sure that at, at some point we probably have talked to to sock warriors. Mm-hmm. And as Larry said, you know, they were not, they were educated enough and to a certain amount of English. And as you guys well know, a lot of times when you're using the spirit box and even EVP recorders, uh, you're a lot of times getting one word responses, but, uh, strangely enough with the, uh, with the, uh, ghost box over its, at Stillman's run, we've gotten phrases there. I mean, we've gotten full oh, yeah. phrases there. Oh yeah. And, uh, one, and one, the of, other, one of our the best other... ones at Kellogg's Grove, the, the fire. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, over at Stillman's run, um, there are 12 stones there, but there's only nine actual soldiers buried there. The other three are, out within the countryside somewhere, they basically were buried where they fell. Right. So it wasn't even until, geez, well into the 1930s, 1920s or 1930s, that those three other stones were even added to recognize the other men that fell during that battle. I had a document from, uh, what's the county out there, Dan? Over there is Ogle County. I had a, an Ogle County document from a preservation society where I want to say it was like 1863 or 1883 somewhere. Hey, froze. Yep. He froze. Yep. He did. It happens. And this was important. <laughs> my, Here my he back? is. 
Am you're back. Out? You're back. So it was, the document was sometime in the 1860s, 1880s. Um, they went and they found the nine bodies that they currently know where they're at, and they brought them to the mass grave site. Hmm. So at some point around that time frame, they were scattered too. Because everybody, when they fell, you went in the ground right where you fell. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, you know, by by some miracle, the bodies were still in a state of decomposition to where or yeah, decomposition. Yeah. Decompo- yeah. You could still see who they were. Wow. So they were able to say, OK, this is this person. This is this person. This is this person. Wow. These three are missing. Well, and they oh. knew who John Giles Adams was and yes. the other soldier because they were the only two that that the sock warriors actually beheaded. Yes, they were very 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 mutilated yes wow um and and rightfully so is a weird thing to say but um john giles adams was the commanding officer and he led his very small troop in defending a hilltop and he would be the one that has the most honor so i mean it makes sense for him to be treated specially right i guess guess you could say he has been compared to custer and, oh, really? um, and military circles because he he knew that uh, they thought it was an overwhelming force of over a thousand soft warriors coming when really it wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that's what they thought. And he took seven other men and said, we're going to stand our ground, even though we're going to die to let these guys get back to Dixon. Yes. Wow. Yes. And, and the funny thing is, and I don't know if it's funny, but as they were trickling in into Dixon, Illinois, which was, Fort Dixon, Dixon's Ferry back then. Um, every militiaman that came in who was asked, you know, what happened? How many how many numbers did, uh, did Blackhawk have? They were all giving different numbers because nobody actually knew. This battle was under moonlight, very, very dark. You know, we think of battle now and we've got night vision goggles and infrared lasers right. and flashlights. Mm-hmm. This is musket fire. So it's it's dark except for the moon. You're in a prairie surrounded by woods and all of a sudden in that dark you see musket flash and you don't know how many there are but all you see is flash do you think though that not only was it that and i don't know why i'm getting this image but it's it's one of those situations where you know i caught a fish this big type of situation where when you're when you're leaping from from a particular uh, you know war site like that and you're having to go back and tell the tale you want to make it look like you is not escaped, but you know, what you were in was extraordinary. Yes. Uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that mm-hmm. because that very specific thing happened. Okay. See, I, I, I didn't know why it was coming to me, but I had to say it. And that's uh, it. It's this big thing. So. Yes. Ma- Major Stillman spun quite the yarn about how brave he was right. when he was really yeah. the coward of the battle. Yes, he did. <laughs> he he actually wrote a letter to the editors of, I want to say the Missouri Republican. Yeah. Um, and in it, he told a fantastical tale of of what happened that not a single historian to this day has yet to cooperate. Wow. <laughs> he basically made it seem like he did everything that he could and they were just so much stronger than them and, and tactically superior and yada, 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 yada. But, but I'm still a hero, though. You know, he, he, he tried his best. Tried to spin it as well as he could. So, yeah, because yeah. you got you got to think, you know, he's a military officer still. Right. And everything trying about to save being face. a military officer, it's political. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So we have a, a couple of comments here from the chat. Uh, Coyote Chris Sutton is down there, and... Uh, he pointed out that the Supreme Court ordered a stay against the Cherokee removal, but Jackson ignored them. It's true. Yep. Jackson, uh, he didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't care. Uh, Andrew Helton says uh, a lot of information is hidden within a lot of the county history books from around that time period of the settlers in certain areas. And so since so you're talking about some of the misinformation, um, yes. and, and Andrew makes a good point here. So what were kind of uh, some of your resources for uh, researching this topic and trying to find some of these facts that, you know, like you have Stillman here, you know, spinning a tail to try Mm -hmm. to get to some of the facts. And I know that it's hard because there's numbers that differ and things like that. So what were you guys trying to do to get to the root of the, uh, the, the true information? 
there are a, I don't want to say a lot, but a, a couple really, really good, more modern books. Um, you know, a younger is one of them, a really, really well-researched thought out book. Um, but unfortunately it's, it's really, really dry <laughs> and difficult to get through. But a lot of the things that, that he, that he did that I really like is if you go to his resource section, I mean, it's almost as long as the book is. Oh, wow. And in there, he, he references books that are over a hundred years old that, have really really good historical accounts so now you use that basically as your reference guide and you start looking into these books and then you start reading them yourself and interpreting them yourself and, and adding things together that maybe they missed or, or you know me being a, a, a retired military veteran maybe i'm going to look at it a little differently because of my background mm -hmm. and and that's really what we did is we started checking off these really 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 vintage old antique books and and just trying to compile everything together from that okay um we did go to quite a few historical societies um the one in McHenry county which is nowhere near the battle of stillman's run uh actually yielded quite a lot of useful stuff so you know because you got to think these were militiamen but they weren't from that specific spot they all funneled in from the surrounding area. Well, the survivors, what do they do? They eventually they go home. Right. And they write letters and they and they write journals. And then that passes down through their family and blah, 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 blah. And that family now lives in the neighboring county. So you never know where that stuff's gonna end up. So in Did searching you come across those neighboring some of those counties, journals. Unfortunately, no. Um, a lot of that old, old, old stuff. They're in the process of digitizing, okay. and we weren't able to get our hands on a lot of it. A lot of it was sent down to the state archive, and we just were unable to get to the state archive. Okay. Um, yeah, they they wanted us to put in a week in advance to set up a time to get there, and uh, a lot of the times that we were able to get there were not even feasible for us to <laughs> go yeah. down there. They wanted to give us our increments at a time Well. Am I going to drive four hours to t spend one hour at the state archive? Right. So they definitely don't make it easy. Where is that? Is that the uh, the Lincoln Library there in Springfield? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, I'm I I'm sure they have an amazing catalog of of incredible things, but if it's hard to get to, yeah, you know. Well, that's just it. I think I, personally, and it's not that I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I am. I think that they make it harder because for the majority even people who i mean that are alive today that wouldn't have anything to do with it back then don't have anything to lose still feel like their their race or their their rank or whatever is going to be affected negatively if the yes. truth comes out absolutely and and you still see that nowadays absolutely and it, it's know. it's frustrating because i mean i'm from the south i'm from huntsville alabama I live in Norman, Oklahoma. I can guarantee you that the history books are different in Alabama than they are here. They're going to be different here than they are in Michigan. They're going to be different in Michigan than they are in California. Absolutely. It's the same history. Right. But it, well, based on region, it's told yes. differently. Yep. There is that saying that uh, history is written by the victor. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So, so who I, knows what I, really I, happened? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, but, um, uh, go ahead. Oh, go, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. No, I had a completely different question for Larry, but if you want to follow up on something there, Dan, go ahead. No, uh, something that Vanessa said earlier and I, and I kind of wanted to bring up, uh, Vanessa said she liked how we kind of stayed in our own backyard. Um, we do a, a video series called expedition entity that's on paranormal warehouse. And that's what that whole concept of expedition entity is because like Vanessa pointed out, I don't have to go to Waverly Hills. I have many friends that have investigated Waverly Hills that I trust. I don't, I, I already know it's haunted. I don't have to go down there and have Larry shoot footage of me doing the same things that 10,000 other people have done. Right. It's also a tad overpriced. <laughs> That's yeah, true yeah. too. I mean, yeah. come on. A little bit. <laughs> but how many guys have went to the Blackhawk war sites now besides us, and the time we took Dale there, and now there's a couple other people kind of filtering over there going, huh, these guys are onto something. Travis, Holly. 
Yeah, there's there's really nobody there's really nobody spending any time at these sites. And that's and, that's and, how we felt about Sailors Creek in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, can't yeah, a lot of these places get forgotten about. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, well, you know, I, I find I find it commendable that you guys are, you know, making sure that something that like like we started off with that's been forgotten to time that you guys are doing something to remember these people uh, Native Americans and the, uh, you know, the Americans, the militia uh, that fought there. So, um, Larry, what I wanted to ask you, uh, and Dan, are you prior military as well? No, I, uh, I never un- served in the military, unfortunately. I almost did twice. Okay. Uh, but Larry did, I, right? I actually, Larry did. Yeah, I okay. actually spent uh, 16 years in the fire service. Oh, okay. Well, still. All right. Damn. Um, but Larry being, uh, and thank you, Dan, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Larry being much. prior military, were you able to maybe connect with, uh, some of the military spirits on that kind of a level being, you know, maybe warrior to warrior? I'd like to think so. Um, I, I have no difficulty communicating with spirits at any of these sites. Um, I just, choose not to simply because i have to make sure that something looks good for the camera so usually dan's in front of the camera but uh there's a lot of times where we're not recording and we're just there and i do get a chance to talk a lot um and and i i always get responses you know i never feel like you know oh well they're just not talking to me today something always happens um so i i'd like to think that that connection's being made um, I just have no proof of it, I guess I could say. <laughs> Don't need it. Don't I mean, need it. Um, I want to expand on something Mike just said. Um, and one thing that I had found at, at, at Sailor's Creek when I was in Virginia, did you run across any um, of the deceased military at that site or any other site for that matter that had mixed feelings about what they had to do there? Any type of remorse? Did you run across anything like that? Uh, Dan, you want to do that one? Yeah, actually, um, not so much remorse because uh, those men were honored to die so the rest of them could get away. Mm-hmm. But kind of on that line, uh, we've asked several times, do you think that Isaiah Stillman was a coward? And uh, time and time again, we, we get the response of, yes, he was a coward. Wow. They are not a fan. Hmm. They are not a fan of Major Stillman. Right. Any any true leader has to be willing to do exactly what he's asking others to do. Exactly. The captain needs to yes. go down with the ship. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, and if, he, if he yeah. wasn't, he's yellow. And and in this case, <laughs> the captain did go down, and Stillman Valley, Illinois, should be named Adams Valley, Illinois. Absolutely. Hmm. There so you, you go. You want to explain that a little bit for the viewers? Uh, captain John Giles Adams was the officer that stayed behind to defend the hill. So if the captain goes down with the ship, in this case, the captain did, uh, I, I don't know why they chose uh, Major Isaiah Stillman to name the town after, but it should have been named after Captain Adams. So instead of Stillman Valley, should have been Adams Valley. As you stated earlier, political. Yeah. Yeah, he was a major and he, he embellished his story. So, oh, well, let's name a town after him. And his, his military career did continue on after this, too. So, yes, I mean... Political, yeah. For sure. How long do you remain in the military? That I'm not 100% certain of. Um, I tried not to go too far outside of the time frame that we're in. Um, the only thing that we really studied after the war, which didn't make it into this book because this is only for Illinois, okay. uh, was, was Blackhawks, I don't want to call it a parade, but he was basically paraded around and, and was basically their trophy. Uh, um, not necessarily a part of the war, but a result of the war. So we did look into that quite a bit, uh, and then it really stopped there. But you know, in in researching Stillman and whatnot, I do know that he did continue on and and had more of a military career. So uh, I don't think he suffered very many ill effects from this defeat. Unfortunately, gotcha. um, one <laughs> one of the things that we hear quite often when you're talking about Native American spirits is that if if they died in a way that was deemed less than satisfactory to them, or if their land was taken by a battle fought right there and they perished and it was taken, 
that there are repercussions for anyone who resides on that land after the fact. You hear that a lot, whether it's a tall tale, whether it's a fact, nobody knows for certain. Did you run into any research that indicated that happening there or the exact opposite? Uh, could you ask that one again? Yep. Or, you got this one, Dan? Yeah, kind of. The, okay. the funny thing is, is that, uh, you know, I've been out there probably three times as much as Larry has. It's a far drive um, for me. It is a far drive for him. But uh, there was a couple times that my brother and I were out there, uh, our good friend Randy and I were out there, and some of the locals in the summertime would be walking through. What are you guys doing while well, we're ghost hunting? And then, of course, it, well, my house is right over there, and it's haunted as heck. My house is over there. It's haunted as heck. My house is over. So all the houses that are built, I mean, this this memorial is right smack dab in the middle of town. Literally, what, Larry, 50 yards off of Route 72, Maybe. which is one of the main roads through, uh, turns into Higgins Road in Chicago. Um you know, it's right in a residential area, and many of the residents that live around there are telling us, you know, as they're walking by going, what is he doing with that little box, or what am I hearing? Oh, well, my house is haunted, and uh, many of the houses in that area are. Now, I don't know if they're, you know, uh, sock warriors acting out. I don't know if they're militia. Um, no, you'd have to start to investigating all those houses. Yeah. There you go. You would have to start. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and, and per per team rule, we stay away from residentials as oh, much really? as possible. Interesting. We try to as much yeah. as we can. Yeah. Okay. We we try very very hard to stick to public things like what we did here, or um, I I prefer museums just a, myself. Just personal preference. Uh, a lot of times when you have something like a, a residential. They, they expect a lot out of you, you know, they, they expect you to come in and, and solve the problem right then and there. Yeah. And then and leave with a steam and trap. Steam and trap. And that doesn't happen. When we used to do residentials, there'd be a spirit in the house where, you know, it was, it was just curious and it was kind of poking around and, and just kind of wanting attention, your typical spirit, right? Yeah. And you explain it to the people and they go, well, you know, it's scaring my kids. I want it out now. And it's like, yeah. it doesn't want to leave. And I really yeah. can't force it to leave. And if I do, that's probably worse than letting it stay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with cohabitation. There's, yeah, a lot not. of people get along with, with ghosts and spirits in their house just fine. They come to a mutual agreement. So, yeah. Me. Right. I mean, there are plenty of people have that rule. You can go anywhere in the house that you want, except the bathroom and the bedroom. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't care. Don't break my stuff. If you want to <laughs> hang out, sit on the couch, go ahead. Fine. Mm -hmm. Stay out of my bedroom. Stay out of my closet. Stay out of my bathroom. Leave my TV remote alone. Right. Ah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, watch TV I'm when I'm not TV. around, but when I'm yep. here, it's mine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't don't turn it off on me. Let it play. No pay-per-view channels. Right. right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm not paying for that. So, um, right. We had a question here from Fran Molino. Uh, when war broke out, is it true the hereditary chief got replaced by chiefs who had experience in war? And did you have any chiefs who lost their position respond? With that one, I'm not 100% certain. I know for the War of 1812, Blackhawk, who wasn't a chief, and his British band responded and fought for the British. So it's hard to say if if they're replacing chiefs. Dan, do you know anything about that? Blackhawk Blackhawk actually achieved the rank of general in the British the British Army uh, for the unit that he uh, was in charge of. Um, but he wasn't. He didn't replace Keokuk. He didn't replace like anybody. That. No, he he was basically a general over the the Sauk warriors that he was in charge of. Which during the War of 1812, uh, Blackhawk stood ready with his with his warriors, um, all outfitted with, you know, muskets and and everything, and uh, they never used them. So he he pretty much told the British, you know, we're ready to fight. If you're not going to use us, we're going to go home because there's you know there's crops to get put in, and that's what they did. And uh, but they still you know they held him in very high regard. Right. 
but he didn't become a chief because of his experience in 1812. He was actually never a chief. Right. So I'm not certain how to answer that question other than I don't know, potentially not. Valid answer. Yeah. I mean, with the with the example of Blackhawk, I I don't think so. But, you know, again, every tribe is different. Mm -hmm. They all have different rules. Even when they live right next to each other, their their rules could be polar opposites. So right. one the, might the rules and fit one the community that's there. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, uh, Sauconac was for the time a modern city almost. So they did things very very differently than your typical Native American tribe did. You know, the, it was it was a large city too, compared to smaller gatherings. So how they did things was probably different than you know, other factions of the sock too. And I have to ask you, and this might seem like a silly question, but based on what you just said, with them being a much larger city, uh, probably from what I'm understanding, a much more civilized yes. compared to others. Um, why was it resources of the land? Well, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta imagine starting East and mm-hmm. you start, you start filling up the colonies. They become mm-hmm. States start filling up everybody has land everybody wants land you have europeans that still continue to come over mm-hmm. they want land keep moving west keep moving west keep moving west all of a sudden you're at sakanak and you still want land and and you can see their farms and you're like wow these are great farms well they're mine now because the, yeah. the general argument is we you know i say we and i use that term loosely because like i said i'm part native american but the whites fought the natives because they consider them savages these sound like exactly opposite of that there was a lot of cases where um a lot of tribes and settlers interact with each other fairly amicably mm-hmm. they did they did a little bit of trading mm-hmm. um but one instance that really upset blackhawk was when they were basically out and and Sauconac was more or less emptied and they came back and there were settlers living all over the place. They had essentially taken over. Right. One so, of his one of his biggest one of his biggest problems was and and this is what I got from reading his autobiography is that was where all of his ancestors were buried. Right. Mm-hmm. And and as you well know, you know, your ancestry being an, on a sacred ground is a big thing to the to the Indian, you know, the whole Indian nation. Oh, absolutely. And uh, they just moved in, like Larry said. You know, they they went off to do their hunting, uh, and then come back and take off take out the crops. And lo and behold, there's a bunch of settlers there, and that did not set well with with Blackhawk and and his band. And um, and there were a lot know, of disputes, a lot of fighting. Oh, I imagine, yeah, yeah. And then no. you had down the river, uh, Chief Keokuk, who is basically Blackhawk referred to him as the friend of the white man, um, who kept telling Blackhawk, you know, you need to just kind of mellow out and let's what's going to happen is going to happen. Well, that's that's all fine and dandy because Blackhawk is having to leave his ancestors burial ground and where he grew up and and loved right. his land mm-hmm. and being pushed out. Well, Keokuk, he you know, I think he died before his part of the tribe ever was affected further on down the river. So he obviously didn't care. So he pretty much, yeah, he was kind of oblivious really to what was truly happening. It sounds like there is an argument that he also saw the writing on the wall too. He knew that the, the white man, the, the United States government was going to get their way. And the more that we fought them, the more of our people could die. So he was trying to placate them as much as possible Hmm. And unfortunately, because Keokuk and Blackhawk often butted heads, it didn't really work out that well. Right. Well, and um, so people understand the importance of, of the burial grounds, the sacred sites. What a lot of people don't know um, about Native Americans in many of the tribes, every piece of you has to be buried together in order for you to be able to, to rest in peace. Every piece. So if you have settlers coming in and they're digging up land to plant their own crops or moving things around or or doing this, that, and the other and disturbing Mm -hmm. that sacred land, there's a very real possibility that they're disturbing 
actual burial sites and separating bodies. Oh, absolutely. That is a huge no-no. I worked for an Indian tribe for two years recently, and mm. if we so much as extracted a tooth, it had to be handed over because when they pass, that tooth, even if has, it's out in pieces, has, has to, to be with. buried with them. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Unfortunately, there was a really tragic story uh, in Rockford long, long, long time ago, and I don't know the data when they did it, but they were uh, bulldozing for a park and discovered a lot of burial mounds in this particular park and just bulldozed it right into the river. Oh no. And uh, a friend of ours is a psychic and she has a really hard time going to that park because the spirits are angry. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. They are angry. Yeah, there's a, so much um, around our nation of different, you know, not even necessarily burial mounds, but just different ceremonial mounds and earthworks yeah. that we may not even know what their function was, but had been just completely, right. you know, flattened to make way for, for farmland. And so, you know, I, I you know, throughout the entire Midwest, uh, you have these angry spirits running around because of you know, the desecration across the land. And there's, you know, we just right. have like a very, very small fraction left of, of what was there. I mean, fortunately, you know, for us, we're right down the, uh, the street from Cahokia, but, um, yeah, the mountains in Cahokia. Yeah. Which are really cool to go up there, but you get up to yeah. the top and it's like, oh yeah, there's a highway going right by it. You know, <laughs> it's kind of yes. crazy. Yes. So, unfortunately, you know, the, the problems that they had back then are still the problems of today. That's valuable space. I want to build on it. Yep. Yeah. Luckily exactly today that. we have a lot of people that fight to preserve these things. Right. So Right. It's just know. we lost so much getting to this point where we are, you know, finally starting to to preserve these things, but Right. Yeah. You got to hang yeah. on to what we still have left. Yeah. It's Absolutely. so much different in Europe. There there's there's a mutual respect for so many of these areas that they they remain taken care of and relatively untouched right we, we don't we don't see that here mike was talking about earthworks i actually and i've been all over the country i've gotten to see one i got and i got to see it in virginia and it was i had to be told what it was i'd never even been taught what that hmm. was yeah i know in rockford they have uh the one burial mound over by uh tinker swiss cottage and that one's a confirmed burial mound and then they have the effigy mounds in bd park which I, mm-hmm. I, I still cannot believe are there because there's no remains in them. And I still can't believe the city didn't try to bulldoze them. Um, I'm glad they're still there. But, you know, outside of that, really isn't a whole lot. Yeah, Coyote Chris Sutton makes a uh, remark down there in chat. At one time, St. Louis was called the Mound City. There is one left. Yeah. That's yeah. a real shame. Let me guys ask it you is. this real quick as we kind of wind down uh, to the end of the show. So... Uh, the beginning of of your book. Let me pop up the uh, the book cover again here. Uh, whoops, there you go. There's the cover. Um, and I do have for those that are uh, new to watching, I do have the link to the book down in the des- uh, the description area, so you can uh, go and grab it. Do you so, have a picture handy of the back cover? Um, I can bring up I can bring up the full cover here in a little bit. Um, okay, which I'll do. Uh, but you guys basically prelude the book with the, the with the Battle of Tippecanoe, uh, which was in Ohio. So how did the ramifications of that battle play into the Black Hawk War? Uh, that one escapes me. I well, cannot... you're the one who wrote that part. I did write that part, <laughs> actually. But I wrote that part like... A year and a half ago, and oh, now geez. I'm drawing a blank on it. <laughs> oh wow, you're so brilliant! <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I started school two days ago, and I'm already starting to cram new stuff in. Uh-oh. So it's like, I gotta, I gotta that, move you know, other stuff out. <laughs> and you know what's funny, Mike, is is Larry and I were talking yesterday. Uh, there, I ten years ago, I could spit dates and everything out off the top of my head, and the older I get, the worse it becomes. Right. Somebody will ask me yeah. a question and I'm going to go blank and go, um, uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just tell them my hamster's not running at full speed. <laughs> there you my go. hamster's okay. definitely on half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the show started and uh, I was like, you know, I, 
this hour, I can't wait for this hour to be up because I'm ready to go to bed already. And it was like 7.30. Oh, geez. <laughs> and he preached to that choir, mm-hmm. okay? So, right. so now that you have the, now that you have the, the cover, cover yeah. I just want to point out that bat cover is one of the best covers, period, that I've ever seen. I love what you did with the bat cover. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, for Dan and I, Stillman's defeat, the Battle of Stillman's Run and the Monument site was really what got us started. And we wanted that memorialized somewhere on the book. And I think the way that you did it was awesome. Yeah, yeah I remember we had that discussion. Um, it was just recently here because it was um, kind of under the gun for a lot of different things. And I was like, man, I need to get the back cover finished. Um, and we had some back and forth about it. And I couldn't quite get the Stillman's uh, monument on the on the front the right way. So the, the monument here is Kellogg's. Um, but yes. Yeah, I know. I knew you still wanted Stillman's on there, and so I was like, I can work it on the back cover, and yeah, that worked. Yeah, out. I think it turned out great. Yeah, it worked out. It's pretty awesome that way because it almost looks like it. it and I, honestly, I kind of like it, even though you know I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I like how you have the field here at Kellogg's, and it looks like the headstones from Stillman's there is coming up out of the ground. It's it's kind of ghosty looking too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You like go ahead and toot my. <laughs> that was so wrong i'm sorry yeah God. i i know i know it sounds corny and, and this is coming from the person that probably reread this book 10 times before we sent it to you but i can't wait to hold it in my hands and read it oh no i totally get it i totally get it's, it it is a different feel to hold it and read it than to watch it go by on your computer screen yeah is it's... this your first book uh this is my second okay. and Dan's fourth. Okay. Fifth. Actually, my sixth. Sixth. Okay. I was, I was way off. I was about to say it just gets so much better each yeah. time. It gets so much better. <laughs> our our first book um, was more of a sciency theory book, mm-hmm. and was as dry as dry can be because you know I I did most of the writing on it and I'm a dry <laughs> writer. Dan had to come in afterwards and, and punch it up a little bit with personal stories to make it not so dry. So gotcha. this is my my first book that's not like super sciencey. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is a, this is a big deal. Um, and then for Dan, this is your first book that's not a storybook, right? Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Besides our theories book, yeah. This because I I like to write ghost stories and. Uh, all my stories are written from the ghost perspective. So you're, you're getting the story from the ghost, not the other people. So you're getting what the ghost is observing. You're getting what the ghost is feeling. You're getting what the ghost is, you know, dealing with at, at a certain time point within their existence after death. And uh, for me to, to pull, cause I, I'm a pretty good storyteller, but for me to pull it and make it into, you know, to pull, and Mike, I think I sent you a, an email or uh, no, I sent you a message about eight months ago and I, and I told you what a issue I was having with it because mm-hmm. I'm a fictional writer. Right. And for me to try to put fact into a story was very hard to do, mm-hmm. but I think I did pull it off. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if I pulled it off as good as I could have, but that was the best I could do. Uh, I can't wait to read it. I can't wait for you to read it. Yeah, see, I'm the I'm, I'm the exact opposite, Larry. I'm like you. I am a nonfiction writer. Yeah. I, I I am. It's I I don't have to make anybody talk because it's just me. So kudos right. to you for being able to right. do. Your I I'm, I'm, I'm getting my bachelor's in history right now, and mm-hmm. and we're signing up for courses, and I'm like, this sounds great. This sounds great. This sounds great. Wait, I can't take this many in one semester. <laughs> what do I do? You only have so much time. I only have so much time. So, so yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to, uh, our second edition for this book, which we kind of talked about a little bit, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, going back over the next year here, uh, revisiting some of the thinner sites where we didn't catch much or we didn't have enough time to, to go back and repeat visits cause they're kind of far away. Right. Uh, and then adding that and then the second book, which would technically be the third, whatever, uh, the whole state of Wisconsin and the battles there. Oh, wow. Because, you know, when you think about the story here for Illinois, yeah, it's pretty tragic. But for Wisconsin, you're talking about total decimation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, wait yeah. until you guys hear about the Battle of Bad Axe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you yeah. reference it a couple times within the book. But um, I guess you'll flesh that out more. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's rough. Okay. I mean, even even from a military perspective, it it was a little overkill. Wow. Okay. So, but but yeah, so we're we're gonna take the time to to do all this and enjoy it, and and then uh, we got that one book that I was telling you about in that one email for Dan. So right, right. And so we also need to talk to you because uh, Chris Sutton uh, mentioned it down there. We need to talk to you guys about Haunted Road Media Paracon because we just announced um, the dates for that. And you guys are Haunted Road Media authors now. So mm-hmm. we need to get you guys out there. That's June 13th. Can you make it? We're live right now putting you on the spot. Yeah. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking Larry can make it. Uh, I should no. be able to. It's Is, fun. Yeah. I unfortunately I am a correctional officer and we pick our our dates six months in advance and uh, other senior officers have already picked that weekend before I was able to mm-hmm. and, and, and that um, was like eight months in advance when he tried yeah mm-hmm. and and unfortunately if I say well I'm going to the Paracon they will say then you can stay there yeah 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 Okay. No, I'm I'm in pediatric dental assisting, and I work for a corporation because I see underserved children. Mm-hmm. I I've already put in all of my days off for this next for this year. Yeah, I have yeah, to. Yeah, I need to put it in. Now, is uh, do you have something else the th- uh, the first weekend of June as well? No, that was um, last year. Uh, we did it the first okay, weekend of June. So it's just, it depends on the available dates at uh, Menorah Springs Hotel in Alton, which is where we hold it. And um, yeah. yeah, so that was yeah. it was first week of June last year. And then it's, I guess, what is that? The second weekend of June this year's so, the 13th. Unfortunately, so. unless somebody gives a day back, I probably will not be able to get down there. Okay. And, you know, I I was going to come over when you were in DeKalb, Mike, just to, just to meet up with you. Right, I remember and, that, yeah. Something fall through that day too, mm-hmm. to where I had some stuff come up. So, and, and that's the problem of working. You know, I, I kind of went from the fire service to law enforcement, and unfortunately, it's it's a very demanding thing. Yeah, yes. neither, neither one are very forgiving with your time off. They're not. No. no. Yeah. Luckily, I have a lot more flexibility, so there's a good <laughs> chance I can probably make it. Well, that would be fantastic <laughs> if you could, and. Um, yeah, and represent the new book, and that would be great to have you there. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially since, you know, yeah, it's, it's local to Illinois, so people would scarf that right up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mike's a good yeah. papa. He likes to get everybody together. Yeah. Our, yeah. our yeah. next adventure is going to be learning how to convince people to sell the book in their stores. Can't wait. Yeah. Just just start fitting it there. <laughs> just start fitting it there. Hit your... Yeah. Hit your local, hit your coffee shops and your delis, yeah. believe it or not. We, we have a store in Rockford that's kind of like a, a weird odd and, odds and ends kind of store. Mm-hmm. And they have other paranormal books there. And they already said that they would put ours in there in a heartbeat. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. So Fantastic. we're like, yes, first one. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we're getting down to the end of the show here. Uh, a couple minutes left. So how can everybody find you guys? Dan, go. You can find us on Facebook at the Ghost Hunter Dan Norval Project. You can find us on YouTube at the Ghost Hunter Dan Norval Project. Instagram, same thing. Website, www.ghosthunterdannorval.com. And we are also on Twitter, although, you know, I only use Twitter when we're doing live investigations. Maybe. Nobody uses Twitter anymore except for the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. And Larry, all the same places. All the same places. Okay. Very I, cool. I mostly run the emails, and Dan takes care of the Facebook. So if you message on Facebook, you're nine times out of ten gonna get him, unless you specifically ask for me or he says, I don't know. Let me go get Larry to answer that. Um. So, you know, that's that's really the best way to to know for sure if you're talking to Dan is is to message us on Facebook. But otherwise, which yeah, Larry's gonna. Which Larry's going to be giving you an answer to your question, Mike, in your chat, uh, probably after the fact with the Tippy Canoe question. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna, I want to go look that up now. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Or maybe I'll just go back and read it and be like, it's Why in the book. It yeah, in it's in the um, it's in the introduction. So. 
and and if you know it's one of those things where it's like i wrote that so long ago <laughs> why did I, I put that in there i, I know I why well it, it just it, it actually connected with me this is like really a, a thing we should take on the side but I'll, I'll mention it here anyway um it to me it, it hit me because um when i was a kid and I was at my grandparents' house and I wanted to, you know, scare my sister and my cousin and all that stuff. I wanted to find something that was somewhat local that I could create like a ghost story out of. And mm -hmm. I just stumbled across the Battle of Tippecanoe, which isn't really close to my grandparents' house at all. But um, I had the, the, the great prophet Tinsquatawa was the actual... Um, you know, ghost that was haunting. And then I actually worked in the ghost of William Henry Harrison who became our president and you know, all of that. And so when you included that there, I was like, Oh, great. You know, it's uh, something, you know, with the universe, whatever. It, it, <laughs> it was fate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was cool. It just, it struck a chord with me. So I was like, Oh, cool. All right. This is in here. So in any case, yeah, he's actually talking about that on the last show. Oh, really? oh, we did that yeah. on the rabbit pellet. On the rabbit pellet. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. That's what it was. That was on the rabbit pellet. So, all right, guys. Uh, we'll go ahead and oh, let you go. Uh, everybody, the link is down there in the description to get the new book, Ghosts of the Black Hawk War. Um, we'll go ahead and, and let these two gentlemen go, and we'll get to uh, all the shout outs. So, Dan and Larry, thank you very much for coming on tonight. Absolutely appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you guys. Us. All right.